And Lord, allow us as a church family to find ourselves worshiping you as we learn right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as you look through scripture, there's only a few times that I see where there is a comparison between precious gems or jewels of some sort and then some sort of practical thing that God is trying to use. And the only way he can say this is what this is like is he uses that as a comparison with, with the jewels. For instance, one is Matthew 13, where Jesus equated the kingdom of heaven to a pearl of great value. And in that story, the merchant sold everything he, ha- he had to obtain the pearl. All right, so we're like, wow, okay. So that's what, kind of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Another story is in Ezekiel chapter 16, in which God is describing his adornment on Israel. And the language he uses is, is that of dressing uh, this woman with fine clothing and the finest jewels and gems and gold and silver. So we see that in Ezekiel 16. Well, also in the book of Proverbs, there is a section in which God uses this, the language of gems and jewels to help us understand the priceless nature of what he's describing. And this is found in Proverbs chapter 31, starting in verse 10. And it says, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. This is the topic we have for us today. And I want to reread the same verse in a few different translations to help you see some of the different ways you could take it. One is, in the NIV, it says, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. And also the Amplified Bible expands it out a lot. It says, an excellent one, a woman, one who is spiritual, capable, intelligent, and virtuous. Who is he who can find her? Her value is more precious than jewels and her worth is far more, or far above rubies and pearls. Today's text from Proverbs 31 is convicting for all of us in one way or another, whether we are married or not, whether we are a man or a woman, because it reminds us of a lifestyle that honors God. It challenges us in who we are, what we are personally pursuing, and our values, and also what kind of generation we are raising. It shows a contrast between a wise life that exalts God and may even appear foolish in the eyes of society versus the life that does not exalt God and is actually foolish in chasing after earthly ideals. So let me ask some of us here, married men in the room, do you view your wife as a treasure to hold above all else? And married women in the room, do you strive to be of noble character and excellent in godliness? How about parents of sons? Do you teach your boys to look for a woman like this? Or parents of daughters? Do you teach your daughters to be women of noble character above all else? Or do you find yourself reinforcing society's values and celebrating what is fleeting and dismissing what honors God, perhaps even demeaning our daughter's pursuit of the Lord? Which happens, happens in the church, happens with Christians. The framework that I love with Proverbs 31 is not just verse 10, but also the second to last verse. So I'm gonna start with that, and then we're gonna work through Proverbs 31. So the second to last verse, verse 30. It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I love how that pierces through the fogginess of things that you read, things that are 
enforced to you, things that you might have grown up with, things you heard from your father or your mother or somebody, your, your husband, whatever it might be. Um, this is a fantastic verse that moves right through it. In this chapter, we see that a woman who fears the Lord will be filled with wisdom. She'll be one who speaks truth and grace. She's one who acts with compassion and kindness. She will be a vessel of God to raise a God-fearing generation. And that woman is more precious than rubies and more valuable than, world, than the world's greatest treasures. So let's work through Proverbs 31. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to use it because you're gonna wanna highlight stuff or circle stuff or jot down some observations or notes that will help you learn from this. So Proverbs 31, we're gonna work from verse 10 all the way to the end, which takes us to the end of the whole book. And it says this, starting in verse 10. Let me read a couple verses and then I'll stop every once in a while. So it says, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And I like that last section that even like of her life, reflecting the responsibility that she has while she is alive, you know, not so much afterwards. This opening section summarizes the impact that a godly wife has on her husband. There is great impact for those of us who might be thinking, I just don't really know if that makes much of a difference. The answer is no, it makes a great difference between being a godly and God-honoring wife or not. This section reminds us of Genesis 2 in which God explains that it is not good for Adam to be alone, so he makes a helper fit for him. And this helpmate is one where he brings Eve to Adam. And the helpmate is a blessing to her husband and the family. God brings an excellent woman to the man. And this reminds us of a principle we see in Proverbs. Proverbs 19, verse 14 says, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Right? You can get stuff. You can get uh, finances or something from all sorts of things, including estates or legacies. But... A prudent wife is from the Lord. Who is the one that brought that to, um, to you? It's the Lord. So let's look at some of the characteristics about this prudent wife and the one who is excellent and God-fearing. Starting in verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. All right, a lot here. I'm gonna stop there. This woman in the description is one who is diligent. She is faithful in what she has been given. Obviously, we're looking at an ancient Near Eastern culture, so some of the statements aren't fully transferable unless like that just happens to exactly fit what you are doing and how, you, how you're living. But the principles here are applicable, and that is one of diligence, as I mentioned, one of steadfastness, being hardworking in the responsibilities that God has given you. And I, I specifically phrase it that way, the responsibilities God has given you, not the ones he's given the person next to you or the ones that he's given other people that you read about or you see or whatever, but the ones that you are to be a faithful steward with. Proverbs 14.1, another verse along these lines says, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. God-fearing women take the responsibility of building their home. 
and the things that God has given them. And it's all sorts of different things. You went across the whole board, you would all have different explanations of what this looks like. For some, it is a child or several children. For some, it is a home, or for some, it is, um, it could be business work. It could be all sorts of different things. It looks a little different. What I want to challenge us in is being faithful and being good stewards of the allotment that God has given us, including even gifting, including passions and the things that are you know, holy and given over to the Lord and what he wants you to do. Matthew 25 describes this a little bit. When Jesus is talking about the kingdom at the end of the age and the judgment that occurs there, he says this starting in verse 14. He said, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. If you were to keep reading this parable, you'll learn how each of these three servants invested that different ways. And the first two were wise with their work. They were faithful with it. And they had something to show for their owner when he came home. The third one functioned out of fear and just hid the money. And that servant was judged harshly. Well, we are reminded of operating out of diligence and faithfulness from this story. Not giving into fear, uh, not succumbing to oh, the, this or that, but instead staying focused on what God has given us. I think it's really easy to lose focus, to get distracted, to become covetous of what you do not have or prideful about what you do have and the enemy makes you get all distracted. But let us be faithful in what he has given us. And so a pause on that concept of a wife, just in general, no matter your marital status, we are all called to be faithful before, what, before God and what he has given us, to be uh, diligent in a holy way with our responsibilities. But those of you who are wives in the room, let me exhort you to continue to be faithful in what God has given you, and not to concern yourself with the number of gold bags that the people to your left or right have received, or people that you don't even know. You just read the stories online, and that can even evoke certain things. No, let's look at what has God entrusted to you? What, he, what has he called you to be faithful in? And let us be diligent in that way. And so as we look through this woman here of these verses, 13, 14, 15, and 16, and kind of the whole thing, but definitely this section, just a lot of proactive faithfulness. How about us? Are we being proactively faithful? And as I talk about this, and I say this a lot in different weeks, but particularly this topic, this is one where the enemy would love to say, you just are awful, and usually using these broad stroke statements. You are a failure as a wife or as a mother, right, in this topic. But what we learn from God and his word is there's not these broad stroke statements. That's shame that comes from the enemy. But instead, our God is so good. He's very precise. He'll say, no, this, this is an area, this specific moment or how that moment has happened several times, that behavior or that habit of yours, that is not holy. That is not pleasing the Lord. And he'll address that in our hearts. So as he might do that, working through this, we wanna take that to him. Let's continue in the passage. Verse 17, it's a great passage. It's kind of a fun memory verse for our mom's groups. It says, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. There you go, Elizabeth. That could be your, uh, your verse for the, uh, the workout group. All right, we have 
the, the, the Hebrew of this is basically like she girds herself with loins and she does bicep curls each day. That's, that's kind of what this is describing. Because there is this, there's an element where strength, when you want to talk about biblical strength, sure, there's, there's a spiritual fitness, mental fitness, but this is literally talking about physical strength. And having the energy, the ability, the competency, and the, the strength to fulfill what your tasks are. And in a home, it's a never-ending task. It's a tiring task. It is one that will take all of that, you know, use all that you have to accomplish it. When I think about wedding vows that occur, you know, there's two, you know, two, like, I love you, and you know, I love you. All right, let's get hitched, and they you know, make a, come together. But when you read a passage like this, you read about the depth of loyalty, and the importance of fidelity, but then also that element of the home and the dependability that you have on one another in running a home and leading a family and all the work that's involved, it doesn't stop, particularly if the Lord blesses with children. That's a never-ending work. And so if you're hearing this and you're thinking, wow, I, I do need a lot of stamina from the Lord because the work is never-ending, then I want to encourage you to think about Nehemiah chapter 6. I love this passage. I actually pray this quite often with the work that I have, in which verse 9, it says, The enemy thought their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Literal prayer from Nehemiah to be physically strengthened to do the work. He was building a wall. I mean, there's actual physical labor here. And some of you are thinking, listen, I am like overworking. I'm overdoing. I need help. I am feeling burdened. I am feeling strained. Let us remember another passage. This is from Matthew 11. Jesus says this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These verses remind me that the burdens that I carry, I'm not carrying alone, and I'm not even carrying the heavy load. Jesus is carrying that, and I'm really walking beside him and trusting him in that process. So here we are. We see that this woman, she is praying for physical, or she, she, she has physical strength to accomplish the tasks that God has given her. And it continues in verse 18. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable, right? This is a saleswoman. She's got lots, lots of this. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Now, so she, you know, she makes her own, own, own stuff there, garments and blankets and all that. Uh, in our home, we don't have a distaff and a spindle, but we do have a TJ Maxx card. And that, that accomplishes much of what normally is made. Well, these verses, they convey that one who lives out a responsibility to honor the Lord lives with intentionality. And I like that phrase, not just diligence, but the intentionality here. There are endless pressures to do this or to be that, particular if you're, if you're a Christian wife in American culture. So many things pulling at you in all sorts of ways. The question is, are those the things God wants you to do? And I, I think it's a valuable assessment. We can always be busy in work, but are we busy in the wrong work? Are we busy in the things that God has 
called us to or the things that we've let kind of run our schedule. So as we think about this woman here, here she's just, she's super active in all the right things. She's doing this stuff. Well, it continues. Verse 20, she opens her hands to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. So like the good Samaritan who took care of the man in need, here you have a godly wife who fulfills the biblical responsibility of helping the poor. This is not limited to women or to wives, but all of us. And here she is doing this. You know, as a kid, I remember on our way to church one time, I was probably like 12 or 13, and on our way to church, my mom is driving, and we pass this elderly lady who's walking with groceries. And she had about another half mile to go before we got to her house. So mom pulls over and helps the lady throw groceries in the back, and the lady gets in the front, and we take her to the house. Now, I, like a dumb teenager at the time. I don't say all that, but I was. In the moment, I was only thinking about myself. And I was like, Mom, we're in the road. Why are we pulling over? And Mom, we're going to be late to church now. And I I still remember this because I was so self-centered in the moment. And I got to watch just a wonderful display of care for this woman. We, we slowly got to know the lady a lot more over time because my dad was the pastor of the church at the time. And so we're, we're all getting to know her. And um, she regularly walked. And so my family regularly gave her drives and, and it became a thing. And here I got to watch her and it still sticks out to me of her concern was not uh, arriving to worship at, on time, but to uh, help this woman. And uh, as we think about that, how how silly would it be to like pass somebody and be like, see you later. And then you just race, you know, through the red light to get to church. So here we have <clears throat> this, this description here. Now, last week we talked about God's justice. I'm not sure how many of you were here. We didn't record it very, uh, I recorded it on my phone and I don't know, it wasn't as good as normal. So with that, one of the verses we didn't read, but it speaks with this is right before this section in Proverbs 31, starting in verse eight and then verse nine. So same chapter, but if you go back there, you'll see it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Right, so a godly woman, she's one who helps those in needs, uh, helps those in need with her words and with her actions. Now the description of this woman continues, verse 21 and 22. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple, right? So again, more marks of a godly wife and a mother. This is a great description of somebody who is not paralyzed with fear in the midst of a great storm. Right? In this case, it's a literal snowstorm, but you could even expand that to the, to the metaphorical storms in life. Are you finding yourself panicked and hiding in the corner in these moments? Or, like the godly woman, can you act prayerfully? Can you act rationally? Can you walk in a way in which you are prepared to do stuff? And then even in those situations where you're not prepared, not so much the real snowstorm, it can happen, but uh, more so with the, the phone call in life or the letter that you receive. You're not prepared for that at all. What do you do? Well, you know that somebody is prepared. That's the Lord. And so you can turn to him and you ask him for wisdom and guidance. So I love this description. It's such a simple statement. And of all of them, it kind of is one of the uh, easier ones to remember because it's referencing snow, which you don't see very often in the Old Testament. 
And it's a good reminder, you know, the storms of life. You know, a godly woman, she is one who can lead her home through this. And even when it's beyond what she know, knows what to do, she can trust God. Well, it continues here in verse 23. It says, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So let's remember, this was a proverb written to a son. The whole concept is, hey, son, here's who you want to be looking for when you get married. And also, here is a description of, you know, the, the, the son himself. When he, you know, he is the one who would be the husband. He'd be the one who is known at the gates. And so let us ask ourselves, men, especially men who are married, what are you known for when you are among other men? What are the descriptions or the attributes or the things that are celebrated in your life? Are they things that are fading away? Or are they things that are eternal, things that are unfading, things that demonstrate God's hand of favor on your life, including your wife? Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Well, let's get back to looking at this lady here. We have a little bit left. It says, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. We'll pause there. So when it comes to fashion, you know, she is marked by one thing above all else, her unfading attributes. And this reminds us of 1 Peter chapter 3, which says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Parent, all you parents of teenagers are like, what do I do with this? When we talk through it at times. Well, I'll recommend what I do with my daughters, and that is I lavishly tell them that they're beautiful. Because the, uh, they are but also, if they don't hear it from me, they will strive to hear it from somebody else. And I want to start now while they're little. They're real little. They're one, one's one and one's four. The four-year-old gets it, though, a lot more. She'll dress up and she'll spin and she'll say, Dad, what do you think? Or, Dad, look at me. You know, and she just wants to know. She's beautiful. I'm saying, your hair is beautiful. Oh, look at your eyes. You have a beautiful smile. And it, like, makes her smile. And it's so funny. Beautiful dress. Whereas my son, who's six, he's totally different. He just jumps off something real high. He's like, did you see that? And I'm like, wow, the difference of these two is so stereotypical. This is crazy. Well, I would recommend that you, uh, if you're a father of daughter, uh, of daughter or daughters, tell them they're beautiful and allow them to hear that from you. And that is essential, but also remind them that... Uh, Ultimately, their beauty is internal. And what a wonderful thing that is. It's a treasure that God has given them that they hold. I could say more on that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of keep going. So verse 26, it says about this woman in Proverbs 31. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. You know, there are all sorts of words that can roll off your tongue. Sometimes we get caught in the trap and the words are judgmental, the words are gossipy, the words are harsh tones or coarse language. But what we read here is, how about words of wisdom? Words, proverbs like this. Listen to these three proverbs. One is chapter 27, verse 15. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Another one, chapter 21, 19. It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome wife and a fretful woman. 
And then chapter 25, verse 24 says, it's better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. The, the tendency to quarrel uh, appears to be, based on a, you know, a assessment of scripture here, uh, the, the quarrelsome nature tends to be in women, not that men can't. And we see this in the New Testament all the time, saying don't quarrel, and it's talking about everybody. But here in Proverbs, we see these specific statements. And I would say that this is a reminder of the value and the importance and the, and the, and the responsibility that we have with our words, particularly uh, those of you who are wives. You know, I actually read these passages about the quarrelsome stuff, and I, like a typical guy, I think, wow, that just feels so easy to not have a, be a problem. Like, as a guy, I'm like, well, you know, like guys are like, man, we deal with pride, deal with lust, deal with anger, deal with drunkenness, deal with all sorts of stuff. Quarrelsome, like, I can just sit and not talk for five hours, and I'm like, many guys, but with this in mind, I, I just want to share how I have found over the years the great contrast between the we can remember 20 years later. I can remember those statements. You can remember those statements, whether it's something that your mom told you, whether it's something that a friend told you, a teacher has told you, or uh, a wife has told you. And so let us remember for all of us to guard our tongues. And if you need a good reminder on that, listen to Neil's sermon on Proverbs. The very first one we did in this series about two months ago was on words. So <clears throat> that's my instruction. Don't quarrel. Verse 27 <clears throat> continues. It says, she looks well to the ways of her household and she does not eat the bread of idleness. So again, there's kind of this activity here that's ongoing. And I think what's important to remember is some of you might say, well, I just, I feel guilty if I, if I take rest or self-care. Because look, verse 27 just says I'm always running, running, running. It's like, well, okay, well, use some common sense. Like if you, you know, you do need to sleep. God has literally wired your body to sleep. God has wired you to have care. And so one way to look, about, uh, look at this state of mind, but also within the balance of reality. So one would be Mark 13, 35 to 37. Jesus is saying this. He says, therefore keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Right? So some would take that and say, like, I guess I just can never sleep. I don't want to be sleeping when Jesus returns. Like, well, that's silly. The, the premise here is not don't sleep. And the wording out of Proverbs in this whole section is not don't rest if you need it. It's saying let's be faithful. Let's be active in what God has given us. Don't get distracted. And, and even probably the greatest, the, I'll say two great threats that I see in this regard. One would be, people being busy in the wrong things. I already mentioned that. The other thing is growing spiritually dead because that's a temptation for any of us and that's the one that tends to be pretty common, particularly in uh, just church world here in, in our area. And so you don't think you're growing spiritually dead, but slowly over time you, you, you do and you get disconnected. So let us not grow that way. I think Mark 13 in this section from Jesus where he says, watch, I think it's applicable to that and also with what Proverbs 31 says. 
All right, we're near the end here. Verse 28 says, her children, they rise up and they call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpassed them all. You know, it was kind of a statement that they would, expo- they would they'd say. I love this section because it reminds us of the fruit of faithfulness. When we give our hand to that which is godly and what God calls us to do, it, it produces godly fruit. Here you have her husband and her children are publicly praising her. And it reminds us of words like Proverbs 12, 4, which says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. So here we have a reminder of the, the, the focus. You know, what am I doing this for? Have you ever said that? I've said that recently. I was changing another diaper. You're like, really? Like, what am I doing? This is, what is happening right now? And it's like, listen, it's not so much in the moment. We're talking, what are you striving for? What are you running after? What are you chasing? And let us chase after the things that God calls us to. Verse 30 and 31, the last two verses here. It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Now, this is a fantastic conclusion to the section as well as to the entire book of Proverbs because in this, there's in some ways this great contrast in how this is ending with what most of the book of Proverbs is actually talking about the like seducing woman and all these attributes you don't want to come you know, fall into and the father is telling his son all this advice, do not chase after this person. You're like a lamb going to the slaughter. You're just being, you know, wandering into this. Don't do that. Instead, stay faithful to your wife. And that's what a lot of the language is. Well, here in chapter 31, the capstone here of all this is telling us, no, this is a woman who fears the Lord. This is what it looks like to be a a woman who is held in high honor. One whose life work is celebrated by her husband and and her children and the community. One whose fruit of her labor produces godly fruit. And it shows itself not only in her kids, but then her grandkids, or yeah, her grandkids and her her grandkids, kids, you know, anyway, second, third, fourth generation. Work for the Lord does extend beyond yourself. And so as we're, as we're wrapping up, let me just encourage you. If you're a man here who is married, let us remember that a wife given from the Lord is such a blessing. And it's a wonderful thing. More priceless than rubies. And that should be a... Uh, on the forefront of our minds in the midst of some of the natural challenges in our marriage relationship. I want to remind you that she's of greater value to you than your safe with gold and guns. Uh, She's of greater value to you than a good paying job. She's of greater value to you than even a dream house or whatever that might be, your dream lawn. (laughs) Please don't, please don't ever think your grass is greater than your wife. But nonetheless, might, might need to remind us sometimes. And so that is uh, that's a reminder for all of us who are men, but uh, also for you who are the ladies, you who are the wives who are most fitting of this exact description here of a, <clears throat> a wife who is striving to know the Lord. I, I hope that this passage is an encouragement to you, that it sparks in you what God does say about you and that it allows you to run real strong in that. As I shared with the first service, it is just as true for the second half of our church. 
And that is that this is actually a really fun passage to preach to our church family because of how many of you who are women in our church, you love the Lord. It's way more fun to preach this than to those of you who are loving the Lord than if this was a rebuke of some, some sort. And it's not at all. It's saying God has used you in this church to, to, I've seen so many of you be steadfast in your families when your husbands haven't fully been there and they still might not be. Uh, some of them, they are there. I mean, the life of our church, we have seen your husbands come to know the Lord and are learning what it looks like to lead you. It's like, it's the stuff you pray for and sometimes you don't, you wonder if that'll happen. So to watch that, it's wonderful. Many of you have been so faithful in your raising of your children, um, not just in godliness, which is the greatest goal there, but in all these other practical matters too, especially this day and age. And I have just loved watching all that you are, uh, are you doing. I've been a great recipient of, um, of that in, in, in many ways, uh, especially to my family and to my wife. So thank you for chasing after the Lord. Your work is fruitful. It pleases the Lord. And I have great expectation that there will be much more of this, a great bountiful fruit that we can show him one day from our church family. So with that said, as we conclude, uh, Maddie, you and the team can come, 